The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Well, I want to welcome you to Highlands Church, and thank you all for making it out this morning. I also want to welcome all those listening on podcast, especially our listener from Denver, Colorado. Now, I can't be certain, but I have my suspicions it might be one Tim Tebow. I mean, after all, he works on Sunday, so he has to catch up throughout the week. But either way, we want to welcome all of you who are listening out there. Uh, For those of you that don't know, my name is Matthew Fox. I'm the office and building manager here at Highlands Church, and I don't normally stand up here on Sundays, at least uh, not during this part of the message. Usually I'm huddled around a computer in the back, which is my safety zone. So it's a little something different for all of us this morning, but I'm very excited about sharing with you, and hopefully this will be a good experience for all of us. But you know, it might not be as strange for me to be up here as you might think. My mom does like to remind me I graduated from Biola University with a uh, minor in biblical studies. As you'll see on the screens over there, that's a picture of the giant Jesus mural that greets you every time you want to go to the cafeteria. That's uh, just a wonderful way to launch into mealtime. And uh, I do have somewhat of a family connection to ministry, just like Pastor Graham. Both my great-grandfather and my grandfather were missionaries and pastors. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my own father, who was my youth minister and my Sunday school teacher growing up, and without whom I wouldn't be the man of faith I am today. But, you know, this being my first sermon, I did uh, think maybe I could use some pointers and some advice. And I thought, who better to get those from than my coworkers, the people I work here with? with here at Highlands Church. So I started with Pastor Graham. You know, I've worked with him for almost six years now, uh, giving messages, and, you know, he allowed me to do this today, so I figured he would surely have some good advice for me. And he did. I came to him, and he pulled out a giant book of pastoral jokes. He said I couldn't go wrong mixing in one to seven throughout the message, so, you know, that might be something for you to look forward to. But I didn't feel like I'd gotten everything I could totally get. So I decided to find Pastor Israel Gonzalez. He's our pastor of Christian discipleship. He's a wonderful speaker and teacher, somebody I was privileged to work with when I did the end times this summer. And I thought, surely he would have some good advice. And you know what? He did. He told me to ignore any clocks in the room, to tune out all the people in the back holding up stop signs. He said, you speak until you're finished. So all of you out there that were looking forward to an early New Year's lunch, well, get comfortable. But you know, I really didn't feel like I had gotten everything I could possibly get. So I went to find Katie Griffin. She's our Director of Children and Family Ministries. She welcomed everyone up here this morning. And, uh, you know, she's been in the pulpit several times, and she speaks to the children. She has this great sense of joy and peace, and I thought she would really help convey that to me. And you know what she did? She even walked me through the steps of this craft. Now, I can't do it as well as the kids, but it was about being thankful. And, you know, I think it, it made me thankful that I don't have to make crafts every week. But, you know, there was one other person who I thought would surely give me advice, and that's Caleb Landon, our director of worship arts. You know, he offers beautiful nuggets between the songs on Sundays, and he really speaks passionately from the heart on worship nights. If you guys come out on January 15th, you'll get to hear that. And I thought surely he would help me to uh, know what to say to you. So I came into his office, and I laid out my plan, and he nodded, and I was feeling very, very supported. And at the end, he looked at me, and he said, great. On a totally unrelated note, I won't be there on Sunday. So, you know, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but I'm going to try and do my coworkers proud, and we'll see how it goes. Well, can you believe it's 2012 already? 
And, of course, with the new year comes a new theory about the end of the world. For those of you that remember last year, it was the Christian Family Radio Network that suggested Jesus would come back in May. And when that didn't happen, they suggested he was really coming back in September. But as far as I know, that didn't happen either. If anyone out there has heard differently, please let me know afterward, because I would hate to think I missed that. But of course, with 2012, our theory of the end of the world comes from the Mayans, who predicted that the world would end on December 21st, 2012. So, you know, you may not have to go all out this Christmas. But my suggestion is you may want to hedge your bets just in case, because you don't want to get caught unaware. But it also means this might be the most important set of New Year's resolutions we've ever had. Today, or sometime this week, millions of Americans will make a list of resolutions for 2012. These are things that uh, they want to accomplish throughout the year. And it always starts the same way. You're very excited about it for the first week or first month, and you're really digging in, but then life intercedes. And you kind of forget about them until the spring when you find the crumpled up list. And then by then it's a little too late to get started, so you wait till January again. And trust me, there's no judgment here. I've been in the same boat. For me, for many years, that thing I always wanted to accomplish was losing weight and getting into shape. It was something I knew would make me look better and feel better, and it was really something important for my health. And every year, I'd start out with that on my list, but somehow it just would get faded from view until the next January. Well, for me, something happened this last spring that put that into focus, a couple of things that really gave me the internal clarity and fire that I needed to make that happen. And I was able to enroll in a nutrition program, and as a result of that, I've lost about 90 pounds over the last eight months. Now, I appreciate all the uh, courtesy applause out there. It uh, does help and inspire, but really, I shared that with you today because uh, it takes something extra to turn a resolution into, from an idea you have on paper into something you're able to put into practice. And today, what I want to talk about is a way we can do that with something much more important, which is growing in our faith. Our text today comes from the book of Micah. Now, Micah is one of the 12 minor prophets. It's those little books at the back of the Old Testament that bridge the gap from Isaiah to the New Testament and the start of Matthew. And Micah probably wasn't a super popular guy in his day. He offered a very important and inspiring message, but it was a tough message. He spoke to an Israelite nation that was going through a tough time of trial that really was looking for some hope. As one commentary I read put it this way, Micah reproaches unjust leaders, defends the rights of the poor against the rich and powerful, and preaches social justice, all while looking forward to a world at peace. So Micah wasn't afraid to call out people who were doing the wrong thing. He stood up for the little guy, and he pointed everything toward a time a better time when our Savior would come. And that was something the Israelites needed then and something we can probably identify with as we go through 2012. Now, we're going to be looking at Micah 6, 6 through 8. And Micah begins that passage by echoing the hue and cry of the people during that time. Micah 6, 6 begins with, What shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? I think you can hear the longing and the searching in this passage. The people are seeking hope. They're seeking light. They're seeking salvation. They just don't know what they need to do to get it. Micah responds with one of the most beautiful and inspiring verses in the Bible. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
What does God want? Does he require our firstborn? Does he want all the possessions we have? No, we just have to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. It sounds so simple, and yet it can be so difficult. And you're probably out there thinking the same thing the Israelites were thinking. Great, I just have to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with my God. How do I get started? Well, today I want to offer three suggestions for things we can do to live out that call from Micah in our lives in 2012. And the first is we have to grow deeper in our faith. We talk about growing in faith a lot in church. We talk about reading the Bible more, praying more, doing more devotions, going to church more. And all those things are very important, and they can be easy, but they can also be very hard, especially in lives that are as chaotic, as demanding, and as blessed as the lives we live here. In 2011, I had the opportunity to facilitate uh, the Alpha Course here, and the leader of the Alpha Course, a pastor named Nikki Gumbel from England, said something in the first session that really stuck with me at the time and has stuck with me throughout the year. He said, in the Western world, it's harder to be a Christian than not to be a Christian. Let me say that for you again. In the Western world, both in England, where he's from, and in the United States, where we all live, it's harder to be a Christian than not to be a Christian. And what he meant by that is we have so many things that are competing for our time and attention. We wake up in the morning and we want to start out with devotions, but the kids need something before we get ready for school. In the evening, we want to curl up with our Bible, but there's this project that has to be done for work. At night, you think you should spend some time in prayer before bed, but you see a new episode of Dancing with the Stars appeared on your DVR. These are all very real things that can pull our time and our focus, and we have to fight against that. Do you know some of the places where the gospel is growing fastest are the places where people have no light and no hope except for the salvation offered in Jesus Christ? Places where they face oppression, imprisonment, or even death, and it causes them to dig deeper into their faith. Now, Lord willing, in 2012 in the United States, we won't face that kind of oppression, but we can still find ways to overcome those distractions and dig deep, and it can start very simply. One of the things I love is these daily breads. It's a daily devotional. They come out quarterly. They're a free gift here at Highlands Church. This one runs from December through February. And every day it offers a new scripture verse and a lesson for that day. And you would be surprised how often when you dig into these daily bread, it speaks to the concern of your heart. Uh, One of the things for me that I also got out of the Alpha Course is the idea of keeping a prayer journal. And it's been very rewarding as this year drew to a close to see the way God has answered those prayer requests. And let me tell you, it does not take long to see the fruit of these efforts born in our lives. But there are a lot of other ways you can get involved. Pastor Graham offers a noon Bible study on Wednesdays, which is a great opportunity to be in the Word. I've mentioned the Alpha Course a couple times. That will be coming back in 2012. We're going to do that on Wednesday nights in April, starting April 11th. For the ladies out there, I know you were all very excited about Beth Moore, who's a wonderful woman of God and a speaker. And we're going to be running a course on James on Thursday nights in July, or excuse me, beginning January 12th. The point is, if you want to get involved and you want to grow deeper in your faith, we can help you to do it. Please let us know. So that's the first thing. We have to grow deeper in our faith. The second thing is we need to consistently let our light shine. It's not enough to just live out that faithful call on Sundays when we're here for corporate worship. We need to live that call out Monday through Friday when we're out in the real world. In the early 90s, Steve Martin was in a movie called Leap of Faith where he played this 
evangelist and preacher in these big tent revivals. And when the crowds were there and the lights were on, he appeared to be this incredible man of God for whom the Spirit was flowing through, inspiring the people. But when the crowds went away, when the lights dimmed down, he became who he really was, which was nothing like what the crowd saw on the stage. Now, we aren't all intentionally deceitful like that in our lives, but we can be just as false when what we claim to believe and the way we behave on Sundays isn't mirrored throughout the rest of the week. The poet Robert Frost said, Two roads diverged in a forest, and I took the one less traveled. Christianity is that less traveled road, especially in a world where it isn't popular, where it isn't understood, and where we are mocked for it. A lot of people remember that line from Robert Frost about two roads diverging, but do you know what he followed it up with? He said, and that has made all the difference. Christianity makes all the difference when we follow it through, when we let our light shine. And Micah 6.8 offers us a roadmap for how we can live that out. One of my favorite musicians when I was in high school is the Christian artist Stephen Curtis Chapman. One of the things I like best about him is when you looked in his liner notes, you could see the lyrics, and he always put the scripture verses that inspired his songs. On his album, Signs of Life, he has a song called The Walk, and you hardly need to look at the liner notes to know that he was inspired by Micah 6.8. He repeats throughout the song the phrase, Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The second verse of that song says this, There's a man I know, he said he'd come to show us the way. He died on a cross and he rose from the grave. And he proved he was more than talk. He taught us the walk. And now I'm singing my songs. Standing up on a big bright stage. And I do my dance while the music plays. But when the music stops, am I doing the walk? I love the earnest and honest emotion of that song. He's talking about the need to, on Monday mornings, when no crowds are there, to be the same person he is on Sundays when he's up there singing and preaching the gospel. And I think that's something that we all need as well. In his Sermon on the Mount, probably the most important sermon ever given, Jesus talked about the importance of being that example in the world and how it can reach people. Matthew five fourteen through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We can't just talk about our faith on Sundays. It needs to be a part of who we are every day of the week. That's the second thing. We have to let our light shine. The third thing is this. We need to act on our faith. You've probably heard this phrase from the book of James, faith without deeds is dead. Now some people incorrectly interpret this as James saying that the good things we do, that the deeds we do here on earth are how we earn salvation. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if we really believe what we say we believe, if it has made an imprint on our heart, it will be evident in the way we live our lives. That's what I love about the blind side. It's about the Tui family, a family in Memphis, Tennessee, who adopted a boy, Michael Orr, who needed a family. Today, Michael Orr is the starting tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. He's a success story. But none of that would have been possible if a family in their spirit of compassion hadn't taken him in and given him the support and the foundation he needed to achieve all he was capable of. 
One of the things I love in the movie Evan Almighty is Evan begins by praying that God will help him to change the world. But when God, as played by Morgan Freeman, comes down and asks him how he plans to do that, Evan admits he has no idea. God says he hears that a lot. People want to change the world, but they have no idea how to start. And he tells him, you change the world through one random act of kindness at a time. The author Leo Tolstoy put it this way, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. We have to be the change we want to see. You can't control the actions, the heart, the mind of other people, even your family. The only thing you can control is yourself and the way you respond to this world and if your actions back up what you say you believe. I'll close with this illustration. One of my favorite writers is the Christian author Donald Miller. He wrote a beautiful book called Blue Like Jazz. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to pick that up. It's an incredible exploration of one man's journey of faith. Donald Miller talks about how every year he goes up to a cabin in the woods and is alone with God, and he writes down his goals or resolutions for the year. Usually they start out as pretty simple. Finish a new book, update the website, book some new speaking engagements. But one year something different happened. One of the things that Donald Miller has had to overcome in his life is the fact that he grew up without a father. And one of the things he's always been most passionate about is helping those that have been in a similar circumstance. One year, when he was alone with God, writing out his goals for the year, he, a thought came upon him, and he wrote down on the paper, do something to curb the problem of American fatherlessness. And instantly, he said after he wrote it down, he was terrified. It was too big of an idea. He had no idea how to start, how he would accomplish it, and he put the list away. But it kept weighing on his heart. And a funny thing happened. When he got back home, he started calling his friends and connections at churches throughout the country, and from that, the National Mentorship Program was born, a program that helps provide positive male role models for those men growing up without fathers throughout this country. And by that, he has helped to change the world. Now, I know what you're thinking out there. You don't have the time, the resources, or the connections to start a National Mentorship Program. And even though you know there's plenty of people that need a good home, you have a hard enough time just providing for the family you already have. And I want to say to you today, that is okay. We are not all called to start a national mentorship program, and we are not all called to adopt a child. But we can all do something, and we all should do something. And all that matters is that something is reflective of the heart and the values we hold dear. And it can be something small. It can be something as small as serving meals to the homeless through Second Baptist Church. Volunteering one Sunday a month with children's ministries. Maybe coming on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night and being a positive adult role model in the lives of teens. It doesn't matter what you do. It just matters that you get up and you do something and you act on your faith. So my challenge to all of you out there and all of you listening at home and for myself is that this year we would grow deeper in our faith. We would consistently model that faith every day of the week. And we would act on that faith. And if we do that, it just might be the most important resolution we ever make. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for allowing us to gather here in your presence on New Year's Day. And I just pray that you would be with all the people as we go throughout this year. And that you would help us to honor that faithful call from Micah. To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is-
been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.